Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. People of the earth at this time, they're going to be carelessly enjoying. That's what wine is. It's a symbol of joy, but they're going to be enjoying this union of the state and the church being together, and it's going to feel like great, and everybody gets along. We can put aside all the doctrinal issues, and we can just come together and hold the one candle and sing Imagine by John Lennon. Today on Truth in Christ, our scripture says, The inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Religious Babylon intoxicates kings and people. Karl Marx was partly right when he said, Religion is the opiate of the masses. Empty religion is the opium of the masses. The idea of fornication often has strong associations throughout the Bible with idolatry. Since this is a well-accepted religious system, it is likely to appear as attractive and spiritual, though not necessarily moral. Now let's join Pastor Rob. To his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Notice he says, now you are the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. But then he says, finally, but you are also the lights of the world. Because after he was crucified and resurrected and ascended, he says, now you are to carry that light the very witness of God. He who now restrains will restrain until he is taken out of the way. Folks, you and I, with the Spirit of God in us, are restraining everything that's happening right now. But once we are removed, oh, the floodgates. Have you seen the videos of the tsunami in 2000, or was it was 2011? I forget, I forget what, I think that was it, 2011, yeah. We, we, were, we just came back from Bulgaria or Israel. And we saw on the screens there in the Philadelphia airport, we saw live video of the tsunami coming into uh, the, the, those towns in Indonesia. And we saw the, the buildings and the cars and the people just, it was horrible, remember? That's what it's going to be like, spiritually, once the church is removed. But this figure of a woman... This harlot is used symbolically of religion. It always has been. We see it even in Revelation chapter 2 when Jesus is writing to the letter uh, to the church at Smyrna. What does he tell them? He says, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. As for your works, that the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel 
who is probably the pastor's wife, perhaps, many believe, who calls herself a prophetess. And what does she do? She teaches and seduces my servant to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. So not only physical fornication, but spiritual fornication. And didn't we see that in King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, who was over the 450 prophets of Baal? Wasn't she the same kind of thing? You know, nobody names their daughter Jezebel anymore. Probably good, probably good, you know. It's like how many people have a child and, you know, a beautiful baby girl comes out and the father's holding her and he's like, she's so precious. I think I'll call her Jezebel. Nobody calls their child Jezebel. She's synonymous with evil. She's synonymous with fornication and uncleanness. But notice here in verse 1 again, we're not going to get very far. But that's okay, because you know what? This, these two chapters are, are significant. And remember, there are parenthetical chapters, which means that chronologically, where they're located right after the seven bold judgments, it doesn't mean that these, these events are going to happen after the seven bold judgments. No, this is, the, this is uh, an expose, if you will, of the destruction of Babylon that's going to happen. And the first part, chapter 17, is going to happen sometime in the first half before the Antichrist sits an image of himself. Chapter 18 is going to be in the second half of the tribulation that lasts three and a half years because that's when it's going to physically be destroyed. Physically, Babylon physically is going yet to be destroyed. And it's going to be visible. And so this chapter is sort of like part one and part two. Part one, chapter 17 in the first half. Part two, chapter 18 in the second half. So notice, he says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked to me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. Notice who sits on many waters. And and down further in this chapter, we'll see that the waters which you saw, and it defines for us what those waters are. It tells us. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to, you know, um, strain to find out. The Bible tells us. After all, the book of Revelation is a book of unveiling, not concealing. Remember that. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples. That's what the waters are. They represent peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And notice in verse 2, And with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Notice that she committed fornication with the kings of the earth, And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. The people of the earth at this time, they're going to be carelessly enjoying. That's what wine is. It's a symbol of joy. But they're going to be enjoying this union of the state and the church being together. And it's going to feel like great. And everybody gets along. We can put aside all the doctrinal issues. And we can just come together and hold the one candle and sing Imagine by John Lennon. Maybe even break out that old cult commercial. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect perfect harmony. So we're going to see that's what's coming. That's what's coming. And of course the fornication here is, is spiritual adultery, unholy alliances, and politicians. They've always courted the church and sought to curry favor throughout history. We see that even here at the end of the age, the revived Roman Empire will use the compromised apostate church. 
until she is no longer useful. She will be a means to an end to the Antichrist, and then she'll be destroyed. We're going to see that at the end of this chapter, that the ten kings that are going to be with the Antichrist, somewhere before the midpoint of the tribulation, he's going to destroy her because her usefulness is no longer needed. She will become useless because he will set up an image of himself. So he allows her to thrive for a season until the midpoint, remember? And he puts an image of himself, and it's at that point he says, I have no longer any need of your services. You're fired. And he'll put an image of himself, and the world will worship him. He will destroy that church. So he carried me away, verse 3, in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet bee. She was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And we'll look at this seven heads and, heads and ten horns again. We spent quite a bit of time on it when we were in Revelation chapter 13. We'll, we'll recap that a little bit later on in this chapter. Probably not today, as I'm looking at the clock and my heart is breaking. But notice, he carried me away in the spirit. Now, where was John when he received this revelation? He was on the Isle of Patmos. It was a penal colony that the Roman emperor at the time put him on. An old man out in the Aegean Sea on this little, small little island. He thought he could get rid of him. John is there and he's given in a vision in the spirit not physically, but in a, in a dream, in a vision, however that works, I don't really know, but he led him into this place, yet future to us even, and he showed him things to come. Isn't that what the Spirit of God says in John chapter 14, that when he comes, he will convict the world of truth, but one of the things he will also do is to show you things to come. Wasn't he doing that very same thing here with John the Apostle? taking him right to the end and showing him the things that were coming yet upon the earth. Showing him the whole thing and writing it down for us. And I don't know about you, but I find great comfort in knowing that a God loves me so much that he's willing to show me things to come so that I don't fret, so that I don't be consumed with fear. Would you be fearful if you saw the things that are going on right now? Many people are already, but to, not to understand where it's going and ultimately the end game. I can't imagine not being a Christian in this time. I've known the Lord for more than half of my lifespan. I, don't rem- I can't even remember a time. I don't even remember what I thought beforehand. Can you relate to that? You've been serving, been with the Lord long enough. You don't even remember what your mind was thinking before then. It's like a, it's like a person that's dead, and really that's what it was, right? All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. I'm a new creature in Christ. The old man is dead, right? So I don't even remember what it's like, but do you know there's people all around us? They don't know what's coming. They don't have any foundation. This is it for them. This is it. For them, and they want their freedom. But freedom to them means no restraints, no boundaries. As a parent, you know that that's hogwash. 
A parent who loves his child will give him boundaries, clearly defined boundaries. You go outside of that boundary, Johnny, and you're going to get spanked. And what do they do? There's the boundary. Right? That's exactly what they do. God puts boundaries there because he loves us. But their freedom means without bounds. It reminds me of Psalm 2. Let us cast our cord from, let us cast his cord from us. And I liken that cord to like an umbilical cord. I, I can't help but see that vision of a mother with a child. When my daughter was born, she came out and that umbilical cord was there. And I got to cut that cord. When I read Psalm 2, I can never read it the same again. Because I think of God and his, his heart toward us and his love toward us. wants to give us everything. It's like that umbilical cord. He wants to give us everything. And there's an attachment between us and him. But there are those who want freedom. They want to be away from all that. And they're willing to just say, you know what? I'm, I'm done with this. I just want to cut the cord. Let me do what I want. Just let me do what I want. I want to continue in my sin. I can do it better. And then, and then come to find out a couple years, a year down the road, two weeks, a day. They find themselves hurting. And you're like, you know, don't you understand that that's not the way it works? You're not going to find the greatest fulfillment by being free from all boundaries. The greatest fulfillment is being within the boundaries. To know that there's a boundary. I remember when I was in music school, uh, one of our professors, when I was at Eastman, I remember one time the professor said it was, a, it was a, like a composition class, and he says, you can, if I came in this morning and I told the whole class, I need you to write a piece, and it needs to be 120 measures long. 120 measures long. See you in a couple weeks. Bring back your compositions. He says, if I told you that, you, everybody would be freaking out. Well, what style? Should I do it in the 17th century, you know, Baroque you know, style? Should I do it in the, you know, the Romantic period? What, is it the Sonata form? Is it the Rondo form? What am, I, what, what am I doing? What form are we? I don't know. Just make it up. And so you know, if, he, if he doesn't give you any boundaries, people are freaking out. But then he can come in and say, you know what? We're studying the 17th and 18th century. Or studying the 17th century music in the Baroque period, I want you to write a fugue in the style of Bach. You can make it, I need it to be this long, you need to have a developed theme and a counter subject. And hand it in. All of a sudden there's a great sigh of relief. Now there's parameters. There's parameters around what we do. Now there's a style. We know exactly what what we're supposed to do. We know the style really well. We even know the little permutations of the melodic figures that Bach used. We can incorporate those things. We can do it in the same style that he did. We could write out the theme and, and have the counter subjects and all the, the fugue elements. Sorry, I'm using a lot of musical terms. But the idea is that there's freedom within a boundary. Now I have a sigh of relief. I know where to go. I feel comfortable moving about the cabin. But the world says, no boundaries, no rules. And what is the result of that? Chaos. It is chaos. We're going to have to stop there. We barely got started. But... I don't know about you, but these two chapters are going to be really important for us because I think we're not only going to see 
what's coming, but I think it's going to cause us to reflect on what has already happened. And we're going to go back in history next week as well. We're going to look at Babylon and where all this came from. You could spend weeks on this. We're not going to do that. But probably another week, at least, in in this chapter. But God wants his church to be pure. God wants his church to be holy. We don't want to be like this church. Can anyone see that right now before our own eyes? Can you see it? Have you been in congregations? Maybe churches within the city? And again, not everyone, but they're, they're there. <laughs> churches that embrace all these things, they, they think it's okay. Some churches even embrace abortion. A woman should have her right because that's God's love. Really? It's God's love? So you see my point? We're already, the church in America and in the world, not you, hopefully, none of us, but there are portions of the church that have embraced this ecumenical stuff. And boy, is sometimes it can be hard to resist if you're thinking in a worldly way because the world says you're not really a loving church, people, because you don't embrace these things. And these people really love each other. saw a, a video of, the, um, of the, the United Methodists and some of the things, and these men are you know, kissing each other. And I'm like, I, I just, I can't. It's just so... It doesn't make any sense. Women kissing each other, going down the aisle. And people say, well, they love. God is love. So this has to be okay. No, it doesn't. Does that make me a bigot? You can call me a bigot. Does it make me unloving? You can call me unloving if you want. When I become unloving is when I stop being approaching these things and, and not loving, I don't have to condone it. I don't have to accept it. But can I still be loving? I can. And therein lies the challenge for all of us. As we see these things going on, I do. I get angry. And sometimes that anger comes out, right? But I'm asking the Lord, and I would ask you to ask the Lord, Lord, help me to know how to reach these people, Because God loves them. He doesn't hate them. He hates their sin, just like he hates our sin. But I want to have a better heart. Because I'll be honest with you, my heart is not so good sometimes. And sometimes it does come out, and I hurt people. Unnecessarily, unwittingly even, unwillingly sometimes. My body language betrays me. Maybe my tone betrays me. I still hold to that conviction, but how I deal with that is really important, isn't it? How I deal with that. So as we look at this chapter and as we examine the the harlot church that is already in formation that will ultimately find its amalgamation in the end times, ask yourself those hard questions and, and go to the prayer closet and say, Lord, Help me not to be judgmental. And you know what I mean by that. Being judgmental doesn't mean that you can't hold fast to the word of God. I don't know the motives of somebody. I can't judge their motives. But can you judge what they're doing just like you you can judge what you're doing? You better believe it. You should. Paul says, you know, 
If I, if I take care of my own business, then God won't have to judge me. No one else will have to judge me because I judge myself. Does that make sense? Let's examine ourselves this, this week about that and confess anything that is not of him and say, Lord, in spite of this, and here's the rub for me personally, as I read these things and I look around and I see how they're, uh, th- those that are opposed to the church, opposed to the word of God, opposed to God himself, that we are going to go through even more persecution in the days and months ahead. But Lord, help me not to hate. I don't have to be excited about what may come. The words that people may say about me, about you, because of our holding to the truth. The first casualty in any war is truth. Do you find that that's a casualty today? Truth? All you have to do is look at Fox News. All you have to do is look at MSNBC. All you have to do is look at CNN. Truth is a casualty. It's died. And we have to ask the hard question again. Lord, do this work in me. Help me to be loving. Help me to be kind. But matter of fact, help me to be solid in my conviction, but to do it with love. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, I just confess, Lord, there's been so much anger in my heart, honestly, with everything that's going on. And Lord, I know that you would not have me to be um, um, just roaring inside, God. I I, I believe that the anger is warranted um, because of the things that are going on. I believe that that is warranted, but how I how it changes me and how it's changing me, God, and I pray that you would stop it from wrecking me right now. Lord, I pray that I would have more of you and less of everything else, Lord. If there's anyone in the room that feels the same way, Lord, I pray you do the same for them. Lord, I feel like David, when he was he was just roaring inside because of his frustration, his anger, and, and certainly dealing with an issue of sin. Lord, help us, Lord, to, to be angry and sin not. And that's a hard thing. Help us to be angry and sin not. First at our own sin and the things around us. And Lord, we thank you for your great love toward us. We thank you that you have purchased us. We are a purchased people. We are your poema. We are your chosen ones. How precious is that, Lord, in your sight? You see us completely different. Lord, I pray that we would see each other different. I pray that we would love each other, and especially those outside of the church, Lord. Help us to fight the good fight and to do it in such a way where they would realize, Lord, that our anger is not toward them, that our frustration is not toward them per se. It's toward the enemy of all of us, and that is the devil himself and what he has done. So, Lord... Comfort us today, Lord. I pray that you'd bless every single one of us. I pray that you'd fill our homes with your light, with the very light of Christ. Fill us, Jesus. Pour out your spirit upon our gatherings. And tonight, Lord, may we enjoy the time with our families. Protect us, Father, physically from the coronavirus, from any virus, the cold virus, the flu, whatever it may be. Protect us from those things, Lord. 
and help us, Lord. We love you, Jesus, with all of our heart, and we're so thankful for you, Lord, and we pray we can't wait to see you face to face. Would you come and rescue the bride of Christ? And yes, I do. I want to escape. But I also want to be faithful until then. God, help us to be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen? I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.